right, good morning. My name is Ruth Zilka, as Tim said, and I am a member of the teaching team here at COV. If we've never met before, good morning, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And I have the honor of opening God's word and reminding ourselves this morning of the incredible gift that Jesus is this Christmas season. Our Advent series, Unexpected Gift, has been taught through the perspectives of different characters within the Bible. So far, we've looked at Isaiah, the disciples, and today we will be looking at James, the brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know about all of you, but I love gifts. Like, I really do. I'm not afraid to admit that. It is my top love language. I love getting gifts, and I really love giving gifts. And if we think about this idea of gifts, the purpose of them is that they are unexpected, or at the very least, that they're a surprise. When I was eight, I did something very wrong. I searched and I found my Christmas presents. I knew where my mom hid them and one year I couldn't take it and I looked. Now this year I was really, really hoping to get a mini purple boom box, okay? Some of you younger people are like, what's a boom box? Uh, it's, it, it was a radio, it had a tape player, and the best part was you could record on it. Which I will, I'm not ashamed to admit, I recorded myself many a times uh, in my room as a child. And the best part of it is that since it was mini, it had a shoulder strap. All right? Okay, it was the early 90s, and it was awesome. Okay? And to my excitement, when I started to search through my mom's closet, I found exactly what I wanted, my purple boombox. But my excitement was quickly dashed by guilt, and it got even worse on Christmas when I opened my presents, and I knew that that boombox-shaped present would be what I had found a few weeks earlier. I took the unexpected part of gift receiving from myself that Christmas. And to make matters worse, every time I recorded myself on my boombox, I remembered the lack of surprise and what I had stolen from myself. Jesus was an unexpected gift, but the best gift of all. We're going to be jumping around to various different scriptures within the New Testament today to see how James went from an unbelieving little brother to a man who fully submitted his life to his Lord and Savior. So since we'll be jumping around to several different scriptures today, every verse will be up on the screen for you to follow along. But I also invite you to grab your Bible and follow along with me in there or on your app. So scripture doesn't give us much information about Jesus' childhood or, for his, uh, or his family for that matter. But here's what we do know. In Luke 1, we read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she was visited by the angel Gabriel. This angel brought some pretty unexpected news to Mary. Luke 1, 28 through 35 says this. It'll be up on the screen, and we're going to start here this morning. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph when she received this message from the angel. And since Joseph was faithful to the law of the time and also did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace after she was found to be pregnant, Joseph intended to divorce her quietly. That is, before an angel of the Lord visited him in a dream and said this. Matthew 1.20 Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What a beginning to a new family unit. Joseph and Mary began their family with a miraculous Holy Spirit conception. And they started their parenting journey by raising the only perfect, sinless human to ever walk the earth, Jesus. Now, can you imagine being the children who follow that? Okay, that, what must it have been like to have an older brother who was not just figuratively perfect, but literally perfect, okay, without fault and without sin? That's what James experienced. Now, we know that Jesus was his older brother simply because Mary and Joseph were only pledged to be married when they found out about Jesus. So through some deductive reasoning, we can determine that James came sometime after Jesus. Now imagine with me for a minute what it must have been like to parent sinful children, you know, like all of us, all the rest of us, after parenting the perfect son of God. If you have siblings, think with me for a second how much trouble you and your siblings got into as kids. Think about all the arguments and the, it's not my fault, it's hers, or I didn't do it, he did. Sibling relationships are the biggest blessing, but they can also bring about the most opportunity for personal growth. James had a perfect, sinless big brother to follow in the footsteps of, and that must have been hard. We can read about Jesus' birth, the visiting of the Magi, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus escape to Egypt when his life is threatened by Herod, and their return to Nazareth. But beyond that, scripture doesn't tell us much about Jesus' childhood. We do, however, get this little glimpse into Jesus' childhood in Luke chapter two. Jesus traveled with his family to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover when he was 12 years old. Jesus' family leaves to travel home after the festival is over, and unbeknownst to his parents, he stays behind speaking to the religious teachers. 
And after three days of searching, Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple courts. Now imagine the panic that his parents must have been experiencing in that moment. If you've ever lost a kid, I'm sure you can relate. And I wonder if there was extra pressure since they lost the son of God. (laughs) Or maybe that brought about some comfort knowing that Jesus' heavenly father was watching over him. Luke 2, verses 51 and 52 give us insight into Jesus' response after his parents have found him. Mary asks him why, why he did this. And his response is what his siblings were witnessing as they were being raised. And it says this in Luke 2, 51 through 52. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. This is Jesus. But his mother, Mary, treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was obedient and he went with them. We see a tenderness here with Mary and the love of a mother. But Jesus wasn't her only child and probably not the only one of her children who experienced this heart of a mother. We read about James, the brother of Jesus, in several places throughout the Gospels. Although he is only mentioned by name once in the book of Matthew and once in the book of Mark. He is also mentioned in the books of Acts, Galatians, and 1 Corinthians. But we really see his heart in the book of James, which he authored. The book of James is filled with incredible practical advice on Christian living. And one of the original intents of this book was to expose the hypocritical practices of the first century Jewish Christians residing in Gentile communities outside of Judea. James was a leader in the Jerusalem church and a devoted follower of his brother, Jesus. Throughout the book of James, which we will get to a little later this morning, we can see James' faith his submission to his Lord and Savior, and his heart for fellow believers to faithfully follow the example of Christ. But James didn't always have that view of Jesus. Let's take a look back through the Gospels and see what James thought about his brother Jesus during his earthly ministry. So we're going to go to John chapter 7, if you want to join me there. And we're going to start in verse 1. So John 7, 1. After this, okay, we're going to pause. I know that's only two words, but it's important for us to pause because words such as after this or therefore are there for a reason. We need context. So if we skim back over the verses before this one, we can see that in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Then he walks on water. After this, he teaches the people that he is the bread of life. And he says this in John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is explaining the will of God the Father and the promise of eternal life for all who believe. Gaining context for the verses we are about to study is important because the main point of all of this is Jesus. It's about believing in Jesus. And also through these verses, we can see the lack of faith that Jesus faced in those around him as he pro proclaimed the truth, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and the only true sustaining source of life, the bread of life. After Jesus explains that he is the bread of life, the crowd began to grumble and disagree with him. After this disagreement, many of the disciples deserted Jesus. And this is where we pick things up in John chapter 7. So let's go back to verse 1. I promise we'll get through more than two words. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go, to, go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. While we can't read tone in scripture, there does seem to be a little bit of a sarcastic bent to the words of Jesus' brothers. They are accusing him of working in secret, and they did not believe in him. Jesus' brothers didn't get it. They were accusing him of desiring fame and recognition, but that is not what Jesus came to earth to do. He came to seek and save the lost, to humbly serve, and to save his people from their sins. Jesus was just faced with the disbelief of others, some of whom knew his family, as we can read in John 6, 42. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And now he is facing disbelief from his own family members as well. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Family dynamics can be tricky sometimes. Our family members are often the people who know us the best, but with whom we are not always our best too. And sibling dynamics can be even trickier sometimes. I'm the oldest of four children, and I'm the only girl. For the most part, my brothers and I got along as kids. We had our moments, which, you know, which, what siblings don't, but overall, I liked them and they liked me. At least that's how I remember it. We did, however, find ourselves in trouble on just a handful of occasions. But no one ever came close to a life-threatening situation. Well, except for that one time where my twin brothers had to dig our youngest brother out of a collapsed snow tunnel, um, which you may be wondering, where the heck did this happen in the Bay Area? But I grew up in Minnesota, so kids play a little bit differently there. 
Uh, and there was, you know, only one time where we almost burnt down the house. I mean, it wasn't that bad, okay? We just melted an a popcorn maker onto an electric stove burner and filled the house with smoke, but it was totally fine. My parents walked in at that exact moment. But it's often moments like this where siblings bond over shared punishment or over shared, we got away with it. Or even unfortunately, sometimes through shared tragedy. If we are blessed with siblings, those relationships will most likely be the longest relationships we will ever have throughout our lives. It's very rare that we will know someone their entire life, but that's what we get in a sibling. Family can be messy and hard, but family is a blessing. And I think far too often we can take this truth for granted. We can get irritated by annoying habits or frustrated by differing views, but we are called to love others with a Christ-like love. And this means our family members too, even the extra hard ones to love. Are we loving our family members, whether they are blood-related or connected through the blood of Christ? Are our words honoring and uplifting? Do we defend and care for and pray for our brothers and sisters? We are built for connection, and we need each other, even if we don't always get along. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus talks about being without honor in his hometown. Let's turn there and read his words. Mark 6, we'll start in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus saw all of these people who had known him lack so much faith. And they missed out on incredible things because they could not see the unexpected gift of Jesus, God's own son, sent to earth to save us. Now, if we take a few steps back, we can see how hard this must have been for the people from Jesus' hometown. To them, he was the son of a carpenter who had been trained in carpentry himself. He was the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, du Judas, and Simon, as we just read. We read about this continued misunderstanding in John 7, beginning in verse 27. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, 
because I am from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Even those who believed still had some doubt. Jesus wasn't who they expected, but Jesus was who they needed. And he is who we need. Although many who knew Jesus did not believe, and even his own family thought he was out of his mind, his purpose on earth would not be thwarted. Jesus knew that God the Father had called what God the Father had called him to do, to come to the earth as a baby, to live a perfect, sinless life, die the death that you and I deserve, and defeat death by rising again. What a gift. And it was sometime after his resurrection that we see a change in those who did not believe, namely Jesus' brothers, including James. In Acts 1.14, we read about Mary and Jesus' brothers joining the apostles and others, other believers in constant prayer after Jesus ascended to heaven. And if we take a look at the book of James, we can really see James' heart change. James begins writing this book by saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James goes from a skeptical brother to a submitted follower. Where are we the skeptical brother when we should really be the submitted follower? I wonder if James ever struggled with anger, bitterness, or resentment towards Jesus. Imagine having a perfect, sinless older brother. It can be hard when we don't feel like we measure up to a sibling, or anyone for that matter. And all of the people that we feel like we don't measure up to are sinful human beings. Imagine trying to measure up to the sinless son of God. It can be hard to not compare ourselves to others, especially siblings. And sometimes they are where we thought we would be. Or they have been more successful than us. Or they always seem to have it easier than we do. But this approach only leads to bitterness and resentment. Sometimes life is hard and it can be frustrating when your life stinks and someone else's life seems perfect. But just remember... There was only one perfect human, and that was Jesus. And the enemy would love nothing more than to bring division amongst your family through bitterness, jealousy, and resentment. We are called to love with a Christ-like, forgiving, gracious, patient kind of love. In the end, James gets it. If at any point he did feel bitter or resentful or perhaps even embarrassed, he did not stay there. He chose to submit to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior.
all scripture is God-breathed and Holy Spirit-inspired. But God used human men to pen the words. And who better to pen the words of the book of James that is filled with practical application for Christian living than the man who lived with Jesus and watched him live out these truths firsthand, his brother James. The book of James is filled with such incredible truth, conviction, and encouragement. Let's quickly walk through this book and see what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote. So we'll be in James if you want to turn there. We're going to start in chapter 1. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. We know from what we read in the Gospels that James struggled with doubt. He did not believe his brother was who he said he was. But James reached a point where his faith overcame doubt. And he was no longer like the waves tossed by the wind. There are several reminders of encouragement here. To consider it trials joy, to consider it pure joy when we face trials because they build up in us perseverance. And also if we lack wisdom, we need to ask the Lord and he will grant us wisdom. Over the past several months, I have found myself asking the Lord for wisdom, maybe more than I ever have in my life. I've had to make hard decisions within relationships, within my job, and in several other areas of my life. And time and time again, this verse has popped into my head and reminded me to ask for wisdom and to believe that the Lord will be faithful in his timing to provide wisdom. This has also become a prayer of mine for my family and also for our church family. I'm constantly praying that the Lord will give my husband, my kids, and our extended family wisdom. But I also pray that the Lord will grant wisdom for the COV leadership and staff. We need to be lifting up those in our church family and also our church leaders. Pray that the Lord will lead them. Pray that he will grant them wisdom and unite them as they seek his will for our church. Let's jump down to verse 19 in chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, isn't that convicting? 
James says it plain and simple. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. This is not our natural human response. We want to react to situations, not respond to situations. Many years ago, as I was beginning a new phase of ministry, I had a very wise woman tell me, respond, don't react. This this phrase has stuck with me ever since. Our human nature wants to react out of anger and frustration or hurt and vindication. But we are called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And who was the best example of responding and not reacting? Jesus. Now let's connect this to family dynamics. Oh, how we can tend to not implement this wisdom within the walls of our home or within the dynamics of family relationships. Far too often we are guilty of instant reaction instead of slow, thoughtful, gracious response. We do this within our church family as well. When something isn't just like we like it or isn't happening the way that we think that it should, we can react in unkind and unloving ways. We need to respond, not react. James continues this idea of controlling our words in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. So I'm going to invite you to join me there as we read these words. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Right before these verses, James compares our tongue and its power to the rudder of a ship, a small spark that starts a forest fire, and the bit in the mouth of a horse. All of these things are very small in size, just like our tongues, but they have great influence. Our words matter, and our words have impact. I teach interpersonal communication, and something I'm constantly telling my students is the fact that our words have power. And once our words leave our mouth, we cannot take them back. Whoops, I'm over here. I have another show and tell. If you were here when I taught in July, it's not that big. I pulled on Instapot. (laughs) Okay, it's like this. Our words, bear with me. It's like this tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze toothpaste out, it's literally impossible to put it back in. I will demonstrate. (laughs) Not working. Our words are just like this. We cannot take them back. We can apologize for them, but we can never erase them. Just like this toothpaste is not going back in the tube. 
So as I tell my students, we need to use our words and the power of our words for good. And I will add this morning, for God's glory. To use our words to lift others up, not tear them down. To use our words to point people to Jesus and proclaim the transforming work he has done in our lives. We should respond, not react, and ask the Lord to help us control our tongues so that praising or exalting the name of Jesus, it's not just those words that we sing when we're worshiping on a Sunday morning, but how we live our lives, how we exalt the name of Jesus is what they're talking about here when they're referring to praising. So that praising and cursing do not flow from the same place. The mouth that curses or degrades someone else or spreads gossip or speaks poorly about a family member or a brother or sister in Christ is supposed to be the same mouth that shares the saving truth of the gospel. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And in our own strength, it will not be. We need Jesus. We need him to come in to take control and to help us control our tongues. We need to submit to him. The rest of the book of James is filled with more convicting and encouraging words such as this. James reminds us in chapter 4 verses 7 through 10 to submit to the Lord, to come near to him, to purify our hearts and to humble ourselves before him. And in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, James reminds us about the power of prayer and how we need to pray, praise, and confess our sins. James may have not understood the unexpected gift of Jesus at first, but he sure did understand it in the end. James witnessed God's greatest gift of all, Jesus. And he understood the words of James 1, 17 through 18, which say this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James had a front row seat to the greatest gift of all, Jesus. And this gift changed his life. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection transformed the way James lived as he willingly submitted to his Lord and Savior. What areas of our lives have we not fully surrendered to the Lord? For for some, maybe perhaps it's your entire life. Maybe you've never made that submission. For others, it could be the future or a hard decision. It could be trust or control. Or for others, it might be a family relationship or dynamic. Whatever it might be, We serve a mighty God who is faithful, trustworthy, and true. He can handle any doubt, any worry, any fear. 
He is never changing, never failing, and his love endures forever. Let's not miss the joy of watching God do the unexpected as we faithfully submit to him. Jesus truly is the best and most unexpected gift. And may our lives reflect this gift as we love others with a Christ-like love. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word, for the chance to dive in and to look at this perspective of James and to see how his firsthand witnessing of the life of Jesus changed him forever. God, I pray that we would be followers of yours that are willing to submit to whatever you are asking us to lay down before you, Lord. Father, may we trust that you can use us, that you can lead us. May we use our words to point others to you and to be an encouragement to those who are around us. God, you are the one that changes us and transforms us. And Father, I pray that you would do that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the incredible unexpected gift of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.